The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. If you have your Bibles, please turn in them to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24. Uh, You're using the Bible in front of you. It's on page 1000. Uh, 642, and the story is the resurrection uh, event has occurred. Uh, Women go and tell the disciples what they have uh, seen, what the angels have told them, and during that day towards evening, two disciples are walking from Jerusalem to a little town called Emmaus, and as they're walking, uh, Jesus comes up and begins to walk with them. They're not aware of who he is. Uh, his um, identity is hidden from them. And he begins to ask them what they're talking about. And they say, well, are you only a, you know, a stranger here in Jerusalem? Don't you know the things that have occurred? And re- referencing all the things of the past uh, Passion Week, uh, the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, his uh, denial by the disciples, standing before Pilate, his crucifixion. And... Um, They say, we had thought that he was the one. And these women, they came and they surprised us. And Jesus says to them these words in Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. He says, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And it says there, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And so he walks with them from Jerusalem to Emmaus, rebuking their unbelief, their failure to believe, their slow of heart to believe, and says to them, how foolish you are. These shocking words of Jesus, a series we're in the last week of it, perhaps these are some of them, that you and I are called to repent of. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Or one like in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus looks and speaks to his disciples after a parable and says to them, are you so dull? You don't understand, do you? Or perhaps this one, you're in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of of God. Now, there's something behind these statements. Uh, the reality is that we're going to talk about is that there are two forces in this world, one to blind us and one to open our eyes. The reality is that, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this age has blinded the mind of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the glory of God, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so there is a very... Uh, uh, profound battle going on for our faith and for our, our spiritual eyesight and our ears and our mind to be open. And it's between these two forces, the devil, whose nature it is to lie to us about God, and the triune God who wants to tell us the truth about who he is, specifically the truth of who Jesus Christ is, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, the devil, 
again, always wants to tell us lies about God. And this is nature, as Jesus reveals it, so Jesus is not unaware of this. In fact, he's always telling his disciples about this. Whenever he comes against someone who speaks uh, an untruth about the kingdom of God, he points it back to the devil. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. And this is his characteristic. He was a murderer from the beginning. A murderer. The reason the Son of God came into the world, First John says, was to destroy the works of the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. Because what is he? He's a liar and the father of lies. And so you could uh, define unbelief uh, really this way. Unbelief is believing lies then about God. Believing lies about God. Now, there's a petition in the Lord's Prayer which we ask the Heavenly Father to protect us from. It's the one, lead us not into temptation. And Martin Luther in his catechism did a beautiful way of explaining what that is when we pray. Lead us not into temptation. Well, what does this mean? You know, Luther asks, and the father and the child go back and forth with the question and answer. What does this mean? Well, God indeed tempts no one. God indeed tempts no one. But each one is carried away, the scriptures say, by his own evil desires. But God doesn't tempt them. God indeed tempts no one. But we pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us. Three enemies, what are they? The devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh may not do what? Deceive us, nor seduce us into what? Misbelief, despair, other great shame and vice, and though we be assailed by them, that still we may finally overcome and obtain the victory. So Jesus speaks parables, like a farmer went out to sow his seed. If you understand the scriptures, the devil went out to, well, he has a seed to sow. And what is the seed that he sows? Unbelief, lies about God, misbelief, distorted picture of who God is. It's a little seed that he plants, and it begins to take root. And when you have unbelief and misbelief about God, what does it lead to? Hope or despair? Despair. And when you have despair, there is great pain. And what do you try and do to ease the pain? Well, Luther described it this way. You do other great shame and, and vice. So maybe one way to look at our sin is to say, where is this sin coming from, this fruit coming from? Is it rooted in despair? And is that despair rooted in a wrong belief or an unbelief about God? The devil coming and speaking lies to him that you cannot love him. You cannot trust him with all your heart. Or maybe, you know what, he really doesn't care about your life and your, the way you live it, your sins. Just do whatever you want. Well, these are lies. A seed is sown, takes root, and then it produces other great shame and vice. Now, that's the devil who lies. On the other side of it is the good news is that we have a God who tells the truth. And uh, again, Luther is fond of putting these two together, but he always gives us the hope. He says, well, the devil may be the master of a thousand arts, but God and his word are master of a hundred thousand more. So there is a fight, but it's not an equal fight. It's not as if there's this stalemate. God himself fights back uh, 
thousand times the devil, a hundred thousand times Christ and his word. So we have a God who tells the truth. Scripture speaks about this. Paul speaks about this in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. He begins this little letter to Titus, and he says, Paul, I'm a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. And what is the next phrase? Which God? Who? Does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Even the apostles are aware of this and trying to comfort the church with all the promises of God and saying, This Christ is one who will not lie to you. Will not lie to you. Paul describes it again this way For no matter how many promises God has made, they are what? They are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us. You know what amen is? It's a term of confidence. At the end of the prayer, you say amen, which means yes, yes, this is, this is soul. So you begin the Lord's Prayer with confidence as a child speaking to a father, our father, very tender, confident, our father. And you end it with confidence saying amen. Yes, yes, it is so. So everything in between is holding on to all the promises of God in Christ. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. And so faith then, if unbelief is believing lies about God, faith is then, it's a firm yes, and it's a firm amen, trusting in all the promises of of Christ. Now there is a person of the Trinity who gives us that gift of faith, and it's the Holy Spirit. And he is far more jealous for our hearts than we are for our children's hearts than we are. And so this gift of the Holy Spirit is given through his word to create faith. Now, if you have a friend and they have questions about, you know, Christ and uh, they don't have uh, faith, there'd be one gospel that would be very good to give to them because the whole purpose of the gospel as they read it is to tell you the truth about Christ and at the end of it that you would declare that he is the Christ, the Son of God. It's the Gospel of John. If you ever to turn back to the final couple chapters, chapter 20 would say these words. Well, Jesus did many other things that are not written, but these are written for what purpose? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you ever read the Gospel of John, you'll hear these truth, you know, lead-ins Truly, truly, I tell you, in the King James, it's verily, verily. You know, or I tell you the truth. I am. I am the bread of life. I am living water. I am the resurrection of the life. Why were all those written? To combat the lies of the evil one and to give us this great gift of faith. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so, is it true about us this morning? This week, can you look back on your life and could Jesus say to you, you know, how foolish you are? How slow of heart to believe? Are you so dull? Or, you know what, you're in error because you don't understand the scriptures. You don't believe the power of God. I think every one of us, if we're honest, we would be 
you know, looking at our life, and we would have to say, I need to repent. That is who I am. That's what my life is. Lord Jesus Christ, send your Holy Spirit to help me. So there's a prayer then that we can pray with all of those statements of Jesus into our life. A prayer to the Holy Spirit. So let me illustrate it this way. If you have your Bible, you can pray to the Holy Spirit. Start with maybe, you know, the Bible closed. And as you open up the Bible throughout the week, you can then pray three prayers. Open my mind. Open my eyes and my ears. And open my mouth. So, open the Bible. Pray to the Holy Spirit. He is jealous for you, wants to fight for you. He wants to open your mind, open your eyes and ears, and wants to open your mouth. To give an example of this, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We will see the working of the Holy Spirit to do these wonderful things in our life and give us a context as to... um, What's going, what's going on in terms of our friends who maybe they're blind to these things. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear with much trembling and my message you know, it was not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of whose power? Spears' power. And so we are not uh, convinced into the faith by a compelling speech or by uh, compelling uh, words that you speak to a friend. We can never convince anybody, can never open their mind or their eyes to see these beautiful gifts that are ours in Christ. Who's the only one that can do that? The Holy Spirit, but he does that in the proclamation of his word. And so Paul says, I came to you not with these eloquent words, but rather the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now, um, look at verse uh, 10 and following. It says here, now, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? And then it says, in the same way... No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Verse 12. Let's read it together. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given to us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Holy Spirit expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. Now note there verse 14. What does it say? The man without the spirit. The man without faith. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If you're looking at your friend or your family members and they just don't understand these things, how foolish you are, so slow of heart to believe, how dull you are. Look at your own life. You're in error. We pray to the Holy Spirit. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Continues. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject 
to any man's judgment, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Who may instruct him? But we have the what? We have the mind of Christ. Don't you desire to have the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ? That your mind is open. Your eyes and your ears, they hear and they see. And then when you speak, you speak the words of Christ to another. Well, what do we do? We open up the Bible, and as we open up the Bible, we pray, open my mind. First thing, open my mind. So go back to Luke chapter 24, because the Emmaus story doesn't end with Jesus rebuking them. It doesn't end with him just saying, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe. He continues to walk with them, and they get to this little village of Emmaus, and they still don't recognize him, and he acts as if he's continuing on. They urge him to come in for the evening, and he comes, and he takes the bread at the meal, and what does he do? He breaks the bread, and in the breaking of the bread, their eyes are open. They see Christ in the breaking of the bread in the Lord's Supper. What should happen? Your eyes are opened, and you recognize Christ. And what happens to Jesus? Let's say it this way. He disappears from their sight. He doesn't leave them, because Christ says, I'll be with you always. He disappears from their sight. They no longer see him. They run back to Jerusalem, and as the story goes... Jesus then appears to them in Jerusalem, Luke chapter 24, 44 and following, and then he appears to all of them. He says, this is what I told you. While I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then this most beautiful verse. In fact, let's read together. Then he did what? He opened their minds so they could understand the... Do you think that was just for them? It's for us. I'm going to open this Bible, open my mind so that I might understand the Scriptures. And what is the substance then of the Scriptures? Well, Jesus tells us. He says, this is what is written. Do you know what is written? The Christ will suffer. Rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The clothed with power from on high is Pentecost, the Holy Spirit. When you open the scriptures, what are you looking for? Christ crucified, dead, risen for the... Forgiveness of your sins, calling you to repentance. But also showing you that the wage of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Open my mind. You can pray that prayer as you open the scriptures. Lord Jesus, you open their minds so they could understand that this is a hard book for one without the spirit. You might be able to understand it rationally and reasonably and read it But to believe it, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Second prayer you can pray is not only open my mind, but open my eyes and open my my ears. Open my eyes and open my ears. Now, this means, uh, as it does in the Psalms, that seeing equals understanding. And hearing equals 
obeying. So when I tell my kids to do something at home, like the chores, and they're not done, and I say to them, didn't you hear what I said to you? I'm not you know, going to say to my wife, you know what, we got to get their ears checked, because I think there's a, you know, maybe just an audible problem here. They didn't hear it. What I'm saying is, I'm looking around and maybe the chores weren't done. Did you not hear? In other words, you did, why didn't you what? Do it. This is what the psalmist says. Hear, all my people, I will warn you if you would but listen to me. You shall have no foreign God among you. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Hear this. Open your eyes and see it. Now, Jesus, again, uses this reference in his parables. In Mark chapter 13, he has the parable of the sower. And he says, well, this, this sower went out to sow some seed, and this word fell on the path, and it fell on rocky soil, and it fell among the thorns, and it fell on good soil, and it produced fruit. And at the end of it, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says, blessed are your ears because they hear, and blessed are your eyes because they, they see. This is talking about faith and understanding. Now, good news again. The Holy Spirit is powerfully um, engaged in this prayer. Turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23. And it's interesting to note that Paul, the apostle, whenever he writes to the different churches, he usually begins it with a prayer for them. A prayer for them. And it's just not a prayer that he prays solely for them, but it's a prayer that we can pray for ourselves, for our families, our friends. He does this in beginning at verse 15. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, Remembering you in my prayers. What does he pray? I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you something. What? Give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. For what purpose? So that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Isn't that a wonderful prayer that you can pray? The Holy Spirit would come and open the eyes of our hearts so that we might know Jesus better. For that conversation you're about to have with somebody, they don't know Christ. In my words and speaking to them, would you open their eyes? We know the hope which they have in Christ. So we actively pray. Open, open my mind. Open my, my eyes, my, my ears. And the third one is open my mouth. Because when God works, he promises to work through means, through his word. So we just don't show up here and no one speaks and we just all sit in silence, do we? We actually open up the word of God. And in that are all the promises that God himself will work. So also, he's going to call you to speak about Christ to others. One last place, Acts chapter 8, and we will see how the Holy Spirit uses 
this man named Philip, to speak to someone about Christ. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. So an angel comes to Philip and tells him to go up um, and listen in on a conversation, some words that are being spoken in a chariot by an Ethiopian eunuch. And so Philip goes up, stands by the chariot, and hears this Ethiopian reading from a scroll. And we find out later that it's the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Now, this is a you know, good lead-in for you if you have conversation with someone who's reading the Bible. You can go up to them and ask what Philip asked. Do you understand what you are reading? And what does the Ethiopian respond? Well, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. And so what did he do? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So in your life... Maybe in the workplace, uh, or maybe at a family gathering, there's a time where it says, you know, do you understand what you're reading in the Bible? I, I don't know. How can I, unless someone explains it to me? And this individual invites you up. And they continue reading. Do you know where they're reading from? What chapter in Isaiah? Isaiah 53. It's a chapter that talks about this suffering servant. Surely he took up our infirmities carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. This is what they're reading together. So what does the Ethiopian say to Philip? He says, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about? Who is Isaiah talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And what did Philip do? Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 53, and told him the good news about Jesus told him the good news about Jesus. You, could, you put it this way. He explained it to him. Now, if you've ever seen religious symbols, the one that looks like an X with a P in the middle of it is really the first two letters in Greek for Christ. So the first letter is a chi. It looks like an X. The second one is a rho. It looks like a P for us, but it actually uh, has the R sound. But that's the first two letters uh, in the Greek language for Christ. When you are called to speak to one another, to explain it, what is at the center of it all? Christ. And maybe you don't begin with Isaiah 53, but you begin with the scriptures, and all of them then speak of Christ crucified, dead, risen for the forgiveness of sins. Now the devil again comes and... Jesus rebukes us, and we repent. How foolish you are, slow of heart to believe. Are you so dull? You're an error. You don't understand the scriptures. He wants to tell us lies. Lies about who God is. 
The way you defeat the liar is by confronting him with the truth about God, but also the truth about who you are. 1 John chapter 1 gets right to it, doesn't it? In fact, let's read it together. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. How do we fight this evil one? We take him on with the truth. First of all, the truth about who we are, our need for the forgiveness of sins, we repent. But then we have the yes and amen of Christ, don't we? Yes, it's true that I have sinned in thought and word and deed. But yes, it is also true that I have a brother in Christ Jesus who has taken my sin upon him. And on the third day, the amen is, the father received this sacrifice and raised him from the dead. And this Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit so we might believe it, trust it, hold on to it, declare it. So as we come to the Lord's Supper, we come with the truth about who we are, but also the promises of who Christ is and what he has to offer. So I'd like for us to prepare to receive um, the supper with a confession and to focus on these three areas of this week. You know your life, I know my life, and to do you know, some truth-telling to yourself and to say, in what area... Has the devil planted this little seed of misbelief or unbelief about God? You confess it. In what area has there been this despair? You confess it. What area has there been this great shame and vice? You confess it. Then you come forward, receive the Lord's Supper. It is the yes and amen of Christ that your sins are forgiven. You take some quiet moments. I'll prepare the table and invite you to come forward. Almighty God in his mercy has given his son to die for you. For his sake forgives you all your sins. As a called servant of Christ by his authority, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.